outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on FishingBooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at FishingBooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. Uh, You maybe weren't expecting an episode today, but we are here to kick off what I'm going to refer to as Turkey Month here at Wired to Hunt. April is upon us. Turkeys are gobbling, and I think we all need a distraction from some of the stuff going on in the rest of the world here. Right now in April 2020, COVID-19 is putting a downer on a lot of things, impacting a lot of people's health. It's it's a bad situation, but turkeys are one good thing we can look to. So I thought, let's do an extra podcast every week this month, Talking Turkeys. So that's what we're going to do. These are short and sweet episodes tactic focused 30 35 40 minutes long each time we're just going to give you the info you need to get out there turkey hunting over the next weeks and months so today we're kicking it off with mark drury if you've listened to the podcast you know who he is he's one of the founders of drury outdoors an incredible deer hunter incredible turkey hunter and just always fascinating to talk to so today talking with him about how he turkey hunts differently in different areas, different parts of the country, how he approaches turkey hunting for different subspecies, uh, how he changes a turkey's mood, his favorite decoy setups, how he strikes up birds that don't talk, and a whole lot more. This is one's, it's just jam-packed with great information. So we are not going to beat around the bush at all on these episodes. I'm going to let you get right into it with our first bonus turkey episode of the month with Mark Drury. All right, I am excited to be back on the line here with my friend Mark Drury. Mark, thanks for joining me again. Man, I'm so happy to be here, Mark. I love the subject today, buddy. I'm excited. Usually we're talking about deer, but now you, you're finally getting into something that I love more than deer. <laughs> well, yeah, you just admitted to me that turkeys are your true love, and I was a little shocked by that. Is that you're willing to go public with it? Oh, my goodness, yes. I, they are my first love, true love. I've been fascinated with them since I was a little kid. And, uh, don't know why other than, uh, my uncles used to always come down to grade school when I was a little bitty kid, second, third grade. And this is back when turkey seasons were new in Missouri. And if they killed a turkey and both my uncles, Marvin and Leroy were both serious turkey hunters, they would always bring their dead turkey by the school and the entire school. I lived in a very small town, you know, small classes, 20 each. So you're talking maybe 150, 170 kids tops through eight, eight grades. 
everyone would come out and look at these turkeys and they would pick feathers off of them <laughs> and give them to everybody. And I was always so proud of that because they were my uncles bringing them by. And I don't know if that's what got me so fascinated with them at a young age, but I've, I've always been fascinated with the wild turkey. Yeah. Well, there's something, at least for me, there's also something just about that gobble, just being able to talk and interact. And I've always wondered if, if white-tailed deer could gobble, I don't think I'd ever leave the woods at all the entire year. I would just be just done for it. I have no wife, no kids. <laughs> if you combine those two things, I'd just be shot. Boy, isn't that the truth? You know, I mean, it's just so much fun. And likewise, if turkeys could smell, we'd never kill one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Uh, so, Mark, we're doing these short and sweet bonus turkey podcasts where I'm pulling in various avid turkey hunters and just trying to go rapid fire with them on some turkey tactics and ideas for about 30 minutes. And with you, you're, you're kind of unique compared to a lot of people in regards to turkeys because you get to travel a ton. You do these turkey tours. Um, and I wanted to kind of pick your brain on how you approach turkey hunting in different areas and different regions of the country differently. Um, to, to, I guess to set us off though on the right foot, can you really briefly explain like, what is this turkey tour thing you've been doing? I know you've got this series going on the YouTube. Can you give us the quick cut cliff notes on, on what that's all about? Just so we have some context about where all you've been, what your what states you're hunting, all that. Sure. I, I generally hunt seven, eight, nine, ten 10 states a spring, uh, because I am so passionate about it. And we started doing what I called the turkey tour, my goodness, years ago. And, uh, of course, with the advent of everything going online through social media and, and YouTube, we started doing our series online. And um, it's really taken off. It has a great viewership across Instagram, Facebook, or, or YouTube. And um, I start down south, uh, generally Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, somewhere down there. I love Georgia. Uh, then I'll go to Texas, then Oklahoma, then Kansas. And it's so nice because you're, you're catching the opening day everywhere you go as you float north, right? So then after Kansas, then I'll head to Missouri, Iowa, stay there for a while. And then I'll either go to Nebraska, uh, which I go to Nebraska every year. Or I'll, I'll go further west. Last year, I went to Oregon. Um, but this year, interestingly enough, I've really reduced my travel because of the, the virus and, and the stay-at-home orders for so many different states. So I'm, I'm much more limited. I'm going to stay on my home court this year, but I, I've hunted, uh, I don't know how many different states, maybe 20 through the years, but I've been to a lot of different places and had some phenomenal times with a, a lot of good friends. And do you feel, are are there very noticeable differences in how either the birds behave or how you have to behave as a hunter when you go from one region to another, or one state to another? To some degree, yes. And to other degrees, no. Sometimes based on subspecies, I hunt a little bit differently. And sometimes based on terrain where they live, I hunt very differently. You know, if you compare a hardwood forest in the Midwest to the open topography of Northwest Oklahoma, vastly different. And the turkeys react differently. They act differently during the day. Of course, those are two different subspecies as well. Um, so, yes, tactics definitely change based on region. And I, I hunt a lot of varied regions and a varied topography. So the more visual it is, the more ground I cover and the more I use decoys. The less visual it is, the less ground I cover by vehicle. I'm, when I say cover ground, I'm, I'm covering big expanses, you know, looking for turkeys. If, if you have the room to roam, uh, that's what I do. 
However, if I'm, you know, on foot, like I often am in Georgia or in the Midwest, then I'm walking and calling and slowly working my way through turkey country. And I'm oftentimes in the woods or, or just on the outskirts of those woods. And I'm doing a combination of the two looking and calling. So uh, it's, it's a visual game when you're in big open country and more of an audible game, I think, when you're in a little bit tighter country. I, I talked to someone on the same topic, uh, I don't know, a few days ago. And another thing they mentioned about changing turkey behavior was hunting pressure. They felt like certain regions, like in, in their case, they thought the South had a lot more turkey hunting pressure, and that significantly influ- influenced how these turkeys behaved. Um, have you seen anything with pressure being different in different parts of the country or different types of properties that maybe influences what you do? Absolutely. I mean, you can pressure turkey right into not gobbling at all. Um, if, if that's the case, if you're hunting public ground or you're hunting really highly pressured birds, man, I'm, I'm, I'm backing off the calls almost completely, and I'll, I'll get almost inaudible with the stuff I'm doing. It's wing beat stuff. It's uh, spitting and drumming with my voice. It's um, scratching in the leaves, and it's more tactical, and I, I really slow down my overall approach. Um, birds that haven't been pestered with too much, I'm a lot more vocal to, and I'm a, a lot less uh, patient with those turkeys. If I've got room to roam, I'm trying to find a hot one. If I'm limited in room or I'm hunting really high-pressured birds, then I'm much more patient. You know, I, I might spend days on the same turkey and barely move at all, try to figure out his pattern and kill him like a white-tailed deer. Uh, they're still killable, but you got to be smart, and you'll kill a lot of those, those birds mid-morning through evening. That's uh, something, Sometimes you don't run into nearly as many hunters the later in the day you get. If it's an all-day state, afternoons are death on those heavily hunted birds. Death. Death. I mean, that's the time to kill high-pressured birds. So what do you do in that late afternoon time period? I mean, you mentioned hunting them like a white-tailed deer, but if you don't have like the history with an area where you don't know how they're moving through a region yet, uh, how do you approach that time period when you're trying to figure it out still? Because you're typically not talking as much. Sure, they're not talking hardly at all. I try to get into areas that I've already pre-scouted or I know from past history there's birds there or I know from the sign that I'm seeing at that time, hey, there's turkeys here. And then I, I, I just slink through the woods like a dang bobcat and I'll <laughs> set up and I'll call light, real light. Every once in a while, I'll get aggressive, pop, 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 you know, and try and shock one in the gobble to see if I can get him to give his position up. If he does, then I'm going to him, and then I'm, I'm switching back into low gear. So you, you really got to train your ear because you're probably not going to get a lot of gobbles that time of the day or even on public ground in general. Get to where they're at, and then don't make them gobble a lot. If you're calling a lot and you're trying to make that turkey gobble, guess what? You're drawing other people to your, your spot. So try to get him killed without making him talk. That's part of the key to hunting high-pressured birds and public ground birds. That takes a lot of patience. And you just got to be willing to sit in the same spot. And you're going to have a lot of times where you don't kill because you got to always pretend he's on his way. He's coming in. Otherwise, you're not going to be ready when he gets there. Nine out of 10 times, he's probably not on his way to you. But that one time that he comes slipping in real quiet, you've been sitting there an hour and a half, two hours, and all of a sudden you hear him drumming, Mm. better be ready or he's going to nail you. Yeah. Man, it's so hard though, or at least for me, when the thing about turkey hunting that's so at least 
from my perspective, what's so exciting is the calling and the talking. I, I find myself just getting tempted to, to just want that. And when you're not hearing that, you, your confidence dwanes so quickly. You're like, ah, they're not here. I got to go somewhere else. Or, ah, it's not working. Um, it, it, we're somehow pre-programmed to just need that reassurance of the gobble. Um, but then you learn very quickly. Exactly why guys are failing on public ground. Yeah. You, got, you, can't, you can't hunt public or high-pressured birds like you do un, unpressured birds. It's just, it's two different games completely. Like they're almost 180 opposite of each, each other. And the one on public and the high pressure bird, he's not nearly as much fun to your point, but he is killable. You just got to switch your tactic. So I want to drill into a few of the things you talked about, but before getting into how to kill him, I want to jump back to something you said real quick about how you approach the different subspecies a little bit differently. Can you speak to that? Uh, how do you approach each different subspecies or, or whichever ones are different in your mind? You know, I'm a little more vocal with both the Merriam turkey and the Rio Grande turkey. To me, they call more often, specifically the hens, not the gobblers. They don't gobble any more than an eastern. In fact, I find the easterns that I hunt gobble more than the Rios or the, the Merriams. And I think there's a reason for that. Oftentimes, when you're hunting that big open country, you see flocks of turkeys and groups of turkeys. They spend less time split up than Easterns do, in my opinion. And I don't know why that is, but I think I know why it is. It's because the roost is, is they're so limited in many of these places. Therefore, every damn turkey for many, many square miles is all going to the same places, right? They all congregate to the same roost because there aren't many roost spots. Then they have a tendency to stay together all day. And it's a much shorter period where you're going to catch lone gobblers. Therefore, they're flocked up. The hens are very vocal all day. And the gobblers oftentimes are looking at a hen all day. And they're not, they're not gobbling. They're not talking. So therefore, I'm working on hens. And I'm, I'm much more vocal when I'm hunting Rio Grandes or, or Merriams. It's bigger country. It's more open. I use a lot of friction calling because I'm often dealing with the wind, wind speed. So I'm, I'm a big friction caller in those types of areas. Easterns, I mean, those are, those are the ones I love to hunt. Give me a hardwood ridge with an eastern wild turkey. I don't care what time of the day it is, but let me have a conversation with him and, and play his game and get in his roundhouse. And those are the birds that I love to hunt and go in there and kill. Like, that's where I grew up hunting. It's the ones I feel like I probably have more success on, but uh, I don't call nearly as much. But when I get in there, when I get in their face and, and the time's right, then I'm going to pour it on and make him gobble and, and change his mood. That's one thing about turkeys. They're in a certain mood. You can change that mood with your calling. You do that with emotion and energy and pitch and differentiation and sound and moving around, moving your head. There's a lot of different things you can do in your calling to add realism to it and change that turkey's mood. If you can fire him up, all of a sudden he'll go from an uninterested turkey to a turkey that's strutting at 20 yards and about to die. I, I want that. That's I love everything you just said. I'm curious about some of the details, but but the first thing I got to know is we often hear that one of the biggest mistakes people make when turkey hunting is calling too much. Now, what you just described was like getting really aggressive and like change their mood, you know, force the issue. How do you know when it's the right time to do what you just described, change their mood, force the issue versus when you need to say, oh, you know what? I'm calling too much. I just got to shut up. How do you think through that? I'll simplify that. One thing that we we came up with years ago, we call it the three strike rule. So this is beyond the roost hunt. You're into the day. 
they've already flown down. You did all the roost stuff and the turkeys naturally, they shut up what hour after they fly down or so hour and a mm-hmm. half, depending on what part of the mating cycle they're in. So now you're at what eight thirty through the rest of the day and you're on the strike. You're looking for that next Turkey. If I strike a Turkey, we call it the three strike rule. If that sucker will not answer me three times in a row to the same call I just gave him, you know, spaced out. I don't make him gobble three times immediately. Like I'll strike. And if one answers, I'm going to wait two or three or four minutes and I'm going to hit him again. Boom. Hit him again. Wait two or three minutes. Boom. He hits again. All right. He gobbled three times in a row. To me, that is a green light. Go after that turkey. I don't care how far he is. That's one you need to head into and try and work. However, if you get a plain shot gobble and he won't answer again, those are turkeys that I have a tendency. If I've got more ground to cover, I will come back and try at a later date or later in the day and let him alone because they often, when in the presence of hens, will shock one time because they haven't gobbled in a while. So it's pure shock. And then they won't gobble again because they're standing there looking at a hen. And that's one way to do it. It's a simple way to do it. Other ways to do it really come with, uh, I think, experience and just knowing turkey vocalizations and how they react and how, how they even gobble to you. You could tell when a turkey gobbles whether he's interested or not based on sometimes that old half-hearted, oh, he barely chokes it out. He's probably not overly interested. But if you call and he's, you know, 500 yards away, ow, he buries you, that's a turkey that's interested. So you got to interpret, you know, his overall mood of the day as well. Now, say you don't have anything to do, any, there's no game in town. You heard one turkey all day. He gobbled once or twice. I will go to that turkey try to get as close as I can to him, either visually or audibly. If he won't answer and I can't see him, I'm just going to sneak and call and try to sound like multiple hens in the woods. I'm scratching, I'm clucking and purring, I'm, I'm fighting purring. Every once in a while, I don't call nonstop. I will wait 15 minutes, 20 minutes, give another series, 15, 20 minutes. And I might sit there an hour, then move a little closer, sit there, call another hour, move a little closer. Wind will hamper that. Uh, rain, you know, you're constantly dealing with weather in the spring. So sometimes you have to play the overall weather of the day as well and, and let that work in your favor as opposed to work against you. I think sometimes guys try to force their hand on bad turkey days. We talk about it all the time. I told you about my three strike rule. Well, I also, I do not burn chips on bad turkey days. Turkeys are literally the polar opposite of white-tailed deer. You want to go kill a deer? We've done podcasts many times. You've heard me say it. Don't miss a cold front, right? Do not miss a north wind. That's how you kill deer. On turkeys, skip the north wind days, skip the cold front, and wait for a warm front. You kill turkeys on a south wind and deer on a north north wind. Absolutely write it down. That is when (laughs) you kill your turkeys. It is the best time. Uh, do, do any other factors in your mind impact turkey killing success, like barometric pressure? I mean, those things kind of sometimes go hand in hand, I guess. Is there anything, or sunny versus cloudy, anything like that? You know, it really, they're so situational because, because, you know, I would love to take a deer cast model and put it on turkeys and call it turkey cast. And I've studied it as long as I've studied deer. And I've come to the realization that they are very unpredictable as it pertains to weather. There are a few things that are consistent, but in reality, it comes down to whether he's looking at a hen or he isn't. It's very situational. You could take a bad weather day in terms of like, oh, I'd love a sunny, high-pressure, beautiful bluebird day and think, okay, the turkeys are really going to act well today. Well, they might very early in the morning, but then later in the day, if they're looking at hens, they're not going to. 
However, you could take a windy day, horrible weather, front coming in, low pressure, and you think, they're not going to talk today. But if he's by himself, he'll talk. They are less affected by the weather than white-tailed deer, in my opinion, because it is situational based on the timing of the year, how many hens that they have around him, and how overall tired they are. Turkeys are notorious for running their battery low. They're like a cell phone battery. It's charged up at a certain time, and then it depletes. Well, you take those high-pressure days that I talked about. If it's a pretty day and you go, man, they're going to gobble their heads off. Those are the days I really don't like because oftentimes they'll gobble themselves out. First thing on the limb, they'll stand there and gobble 50 times, fly to the ground, get with the hens, and then they shut up the rest of the day. We call it the high-pressure hush. <laughs> Midday on the rest of the day, they won't talk. However, you take a, a morning where they don't gobble on the limb, those gobbles are still in them. Turkey's only going to gobble so many times in a day. That battery's still charged. We kill a lot of turkeys on bad mornings for goblin, but we'll kill them on up in the day because they're still inside and they're ready to, ready to talk. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something. Because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash MeatEater. Would you pick a roost morning hunt or, uh, you know, 8.30, 9 a.m. through the rest of the day? Which time period would you rather have to kill a bird? Well, the roost hunt's the fun one because they're generally gobbling a little bit for you, so that's the most vocal. But I kill more turkeys between about 7.30 and 10 o'clock than any other time of the day. Then, and then again around mm, 6, no, 5.30 to 7 in the evening. Those are the times that I kill the most turkeys. But I've killed them 
straight off the roofs, fly down, come in. I've killed them at noon, one o'clock, that type of stuff. But the times that I kill the most would be those two times I just mentioned. Okay. In those two situations, that's typically when you've got a bird that's, correct me if I'm wrong, I guess, but that's the time period when you start getting a gobbler that maybe is away from the hens. Now, finally, he's kind of going on a circuit. Um, and then you have that situation like you described where you strike one up and now you're going to see, okay, is this one that I can work in here or not? And you decide if you're going to change their mood. If you strike up a bird in that scenario and he wins the street, the the three strike rule and you're going to get after him. Can you give me the details of exactly how you do change the mood? You listed a bunch of like possible things, but could you walk me through in your head? Okay, I'm going to do this type of call in sequence. I'm going to make this move or, or anything you can share on that. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I'm going to do is try and kill him with the as least amount of calling as possible. So I always say I start at the bottom end of the ladder and I work my way up that ladder. So the first thing I'm going to do are soft yelps, clucks and purrs. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is try and get in a position where I think I can kill him. I kill most turkeys when my setup is within about 100 to 150 yards to start with. The worst mistake a turkey hunter can make is make them tone deaf by calling too much to them when you're too far away, if that makes sense. So you hear that turkey and you go, okay, he's over there, 250, 300. I'm going to sit right here and call him all that distance. That's, That's not the smartest play you can make. I will avoid calling to a turkey until I get to about 150, 100. If you can do it because of cover in the woods or if you can do it because of terrain, once you get in their comfort zone, that's how you kill turkeys. Once I'm there... I start real low and I find out what he's willing to answer to. And then I work my way up. And the, the, the single best way to kill a turkey is if you can get within a visual of him in an open area and watch his body posture and watch how he reacts to your calling. Because he doesn't always have to gobble to give you a positive response. I love having my eyes on a turkey when I'm working him, whether that's just over the hump or whether it's out in an open field. And I will purposely wait until he, you know how they'll strut and turn and pirouette. I will wait till his body posture faces me and then I'll hit him. If he's facing away, I almost never call to a turkey. It's just a bad, bad overall flow, bad signal. But when he faces me, I pour it on. I try to get him to continue coming to me because sometimes I think turkeys don't know where they're going until they get there. So (laughs) if you can play on that body posture and, and wait till they're facing you, you can turn an entire flock and have them coming your way. You watch them, a grasshopper will make them do a 180 and go the opposite way from your calling. So watch what they're doing if you can get there and then work them. So the same holds true when you can't see them. I try to get close, I start low, and I work my way up. If he sounds like he's gobbling away from me, I won't call. However, if he, if he just gobbled and it sounded like he's facing me, in other words, it's louder, clearer, that's when I pour it on. I love a turkey to face me when I'm working him. Big, big difference. Huge difference in killing turkeys. Wait till they're facing you. Is is there any other body language that you would look at as being positive, like when they strut up versus when they're not strutted up or, I don't know, raking their wing oh, yeah. tips or anything? Anything else you look at? Absolutely. Strutting's a big positive. You know, if they're just if they're standing there walking around all of a sudden and you see him and you feel like you're in a good position and you yelp real soft and he goes into strut, he's interested. Uh, if he's in the presence of hens and not strutting, that's a tough turkey to kill. If he's in the presence of hens and strutting, you got you got a chance. Interesting. Okay. So, so okay. So, let's say we've got that scenario. We can see him. 
He's given us a few gobbles. He's strutted up, so we think he's interested. He turns in our direction. Now you're going to pour it on, and you're going to give him the Mark Drury special, the thing that no gobbler can say no to. Uh, and you mentioned <laughs> that you'll, you'll 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 start at the bottom, but let's say we get to the top now, and it's, okay, these other things haven't worked. you got to throw your ace out there, and this is your the kill switch you're throwing. What is that special move you've got? The the thing that I will do, and if you watch the, if you and it sounds terrible, I think every time I listen to it, I'm I watch the AVNX tour and I'm like, it really doesn't sound good, but boy, does it make tur- make turkeys die. I love the hen yelp, and then follow it with a low pitch Jake yelp. I love that message, and I'm telling you, they will they you can make them tone deaf with that hen yelp, and you know how you call too much and all of a sudden he quits answering. They just get tone deaf, right? Yeah. All of a sudden, throw in some. some real low stuff Ah, he's gonna bury it he does not like a jake in the presence of a hen i kill a lot of turkeys with really aggressive hen yelps followed by a low tone jake yelp of three or four yelps huh that's interesting that's not something i've ever done um but that makes sense i guess if you watch the avian x tour and you listen to me call birds and listen it almost sounds like i'm making mistakes it's like Boy, it sounds that sounds awful. It re- it really does. I don't like it at all. But it uh, it'll kill a damn turkey now better than anything I've ever done. I do it all the time. That or I cu- I cut real high pitched and then I'll lower it down. I I love changing tones to make it sound like there's a variety of turkeys there. Now, what about the visual side of this? I've seen you you know use a variety of different decoy setups, but especially this most recent set of uh, the turkey tour videos, I've seen. Uh, gosh, I can't remember what the name of it is. It's like a laying down hen decoy. Um, the lay down hen and the avian, uh, HDR Jake. Yeah. Yeah. That's the one, two punch right there. Can you walk me through, can you walk me through a few of the different decoy setups you might consider and what scenarios you would use each? The one that I go to most often is the lay down hen with a Jake and it's, it's just a slick down Jake beard out, kind of comfortable. Doesn't look like he's too postured or anything. Uh, and I'll put him just off to the side like he's about to approach her and breed her because she's already on the ground. I kill a lot of turkeys with that setup. I also constantly have their trophy tom right next to me on the ground, which is a half silhouette strutter, and I have my fan in that. I kill a lot of turkeys with that combo right there. I have it for cover, if you will, or to peek up and look to see if he's coming. If I'm out in the field trying to find him, I'll look through the fan and I generally don't have a negative reaction to that that strutter. Once in a while, you will if it's a subordinate bird, but more often than not, they'll accept it and, and come on in, or they might shy away a little bit. In that case, you can put the strutter down, and they'll forget about it and come on in, but that's that's how I turkey hunt. Now, if there's a population dynamic that's at play, and you're going into a spring where there's a pile of jakes and not many longbeards, I'm not going to put those jakes out because oftentimes that group of bully jakes will run off a big long beard. And then if he sees a Jake with a hen, he'll just turn and leave because he's had his butt whooped too many times by those big gangs of jakes. So if it, it really depends what the previous year's hatches were. Last year was great because we didn't have a ton of jakes and we had a lot of long beards. That's when a Jake decoy works the best. If you've got a year where you're low on long beards and heavy on jakes, then I, I don't use the Jake nearly as much. Huh. I go with just the lay down hen. How do you how do you determine something like that? Is that through running trail cameras and keeping an eye on things like that? Is it just watching them? Oh yeah, that's 
it it starts in August when those when those pults and those broods first start coming out. You can figure out what your hatch was just by counting how many pults you see versus how many hens you see on your reconics cameras. You know, a good hatch would be like three to four pults per hen on an overall average. And last year I was at like one to one point five. We had a terrible hatch in in there in Missouri. Hmm. Um, I, I got to rewind just a little bit to something I meant to ask you um, in that previous scenario when we were talking about, uh, you know, trying to find that bird and, and the three strike rule and everything. Something I wanted to get a little clarification on was how to best strike up those quiet birds. So you're in the late morning. There's nothing talking. What's what are your go to's to get something to strike up and give you a sign, um, whether that be a shot gobble or, or, or whatever it is? How do you get that first gobble? You know, it, it depends a little bit of where I'm at. Like if I'm down south and they're not overly vocal uh, or if I'm in a high pressured area, I owl hoot a lot, even midday. And I, I have a tremendous amount of luck with owl hooting. I owl hoot on my voice. Uh, I crow call some, but I owl hoot more often than not. And I'll try that first. And if you get one to react to that, that's great because then you can move in on him because you haven't given a call yet. If that doesn't work, my absolute go-to is a aluminum call, wooden peg, and I, I, I go through a series of yelps, and then I cut real loud, and then I, sh- I shut it off abruptly. And I, I get a lot of turkeys to respond to that combo. I, I've struck and killed so many turkeys with that combo, it's not even funny. Hmm. With the owl hoot or anything like that, is there a risk of overdoing something like that? Like, is, is there any downside if you're moving around an area, you still haven't heard one. There's no downside to hammering it quite a bit when you're moving through, right? I think there's a downside to yelping because anytime you yelp, if there's a turkey that's willing to come in and or yelping or calling in general, if there's a turkey willing to come in and he's not gobbling, you're liable to call him in and not know it. I think that happens a lot to guys and they don't even know it's happening because more often than not later in the day, they just don't strike very well anymore. They used to back in the 80s, but the, the populations have evolved and there's just so many turkeys, they don't gobble up into the day like they used to. Now, if you get up in the upper Midwest or say uh, out West, you can still strike a lot of turkeys midday because the populations are growing and they're very aggressive. Their testosterone's a lot higher. But if it's a fully developed, uh, the population's at its peak, carrying capacity is reached, they don't gobble as much in the middle of the day. They'll still come to a call, but it's hard to strike them. So that's why I generally start with an owl hoot because oftentimes I find they'll hit that before they'll hit a turkey call just because it's different and they haven't heard it in a while. Yeah. Okay. Now, what if we fast forward to the end of the day and it's 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 a state you can hunt all day. It's getting close to when they're going to be moving back up to roost for the evening. What's your go-to for that time of day? Are you trying to kill them at that point or do you give up and just want to roost them for the next morning? Uh, I'm usually hunting them. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll move and call if the weather's right or I'm at the right time of the year, like early in the spring when they're just starting to establish their breeding and whatnot, their breeding pairs or their breeding flocks, I'll, I'll call because a lot of turkeys are still, they're going through fights and all that stuff. Their testosterone's real high. Once they get henned up, then I'm hunting like a deer hunter and I'm on a food plot on a pretty top. You ever notice in the afternoons when it's a sunny day? and the winds are calm. You see turkey strutting everywhere in the evenings. Mm-hmm. I call it turkey 30. I like to get there at 4.30, get set up at a known strut zone in the afternoons, have my decoys there, and then sit there and call and see if, see if one will come out to the field. More often than not, they're going to show up between like 5 and 6.30 or 7, somewhere in there, 
6.30 is turkey 30 to me, but you got to beat them there. Otherwise, they'll spot you getting in place. Do you find any... Uh, is there any nuance to picking the right strut zone, the right feeding area? Do you, have you found that there's any particular scenario that, oh man, this is the killer scenario versus a random cut cornfield or something like that? Yeah, I like green fields in the spring. Um, my clover fields that I kill deer off of, I kill a lot of turkeys off of those in the, in the spring. The bigger they are, the better. Uh, pasture fields are also magic, man. You know, you get all these big hardwoods, all the roosting goes on in the hardwoods and poof, they exhale every morning because all the turkeys are going out to the pasture. That's all the, where all the food is, you know, all the bugs, all the worms, mm-hmm. all the clovers, everything they're eating is out in those pastures. Uh, so you know, I like big open, open country where you see turkeys strutting quite often. That's where I go set up, but the evening's got to be right. You don't want to do it on a real windy evening. It's not nearly as effective. If that's the case, I'm going to a bottom field to get sheltered from the wind. If it's a calm evening, I like the ridge tops, someplace that I've seen them strutting in the past, and uh, we kill it. We kill a pile of afternoon turkeys. They're not nearly as vocal. Once in a while, you'll catch one that's vocal and ready to rock and roll, but more often than not, it's a, a quiet visual hunt where they see it, and boy, they will flat go beat the tar out of a Jake decoy in the evenings. We kill a pile of big gobblers in the afternoons on Jake's. Hmm. So what is, if, if you had a magic wand, Mark, if I gave you a magic wand and I said you are the, I don't know, maybe, maybe let me change my analogy here. You are the king of turkey hunting. I'm going to give you a scepter and you could tap someone on the shoulder and change how they turkey hunt. You could change one thing about how the masses turkey hunt. The one mistake that drives you nuts or the one thing that you wish people would listen to you about or, or something if you could do that, if you had the power to fix that one issue, what would that be? Stop bumping them. So many people hear that gobble and they go, 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 go. It's like a magnet, right? And every, everybody's going to that sound. And turkeys are the most unbelievably keen bird in the world. They're on the ground all day. It's an absolute miracle when you see a turkey walking through the woods that they're still alive because everything's trying to kill it, right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they're good at living, and they're good at living because they can see like no other. And I think guys spook probably 50, 60, 70% of the turkeys thereafter, I think they're spooking them because they just don't know when to sit down, don't know when to stop, don't know when to glass, make sure that little periscope. And that's the, that's the deal. He's got that little periscope that's the size of your fist, barely over the hilltop. And he sees you long before you see him. And people just misinterpret where that gobble's at and they're spooking those birds. So their approach is too fast and too aggressive. They need to slow down, take their time, because time means nothing to those birds. They don't wear wristwatches and it really doesn't mean anything for that turkey. All he's going to do is fly down, eat, strut, do his thing. Same thing he's been doing all spring. And the gobble puts everyone in in like, oh, I got to get there. I got to get there. It kind of, you know, gets your emotions high, which is why we're out there. But you really got to slow down and take your time with turkeys. Like, that's the big mistake that I see people making is spooking that bird and you're out of the game. Well, Mark, uh, as I've always come to rely on you for, great words of wisdom, always a lot of fun. If people want to see your turkey hunts this spring if folks want to follow along with what you got going on where can they see the turkey tour and everything else youtube's probably the easiest place our deer cast all of the turkey tours within deer cast uh it's free 
uh, all of our DOD uh, TV, uh, all of our content is free within DeerCast. If you want it all in a one-stop shop, uh, you can check it out at DeerCast.com. You can go to YouTube, check out DOD TV, or you can check it in IGTV or Facebook, any, any place that you can find our content. We've got the Turkey Tour airing. It's great stuff, and um, so was this chat. I, I can't thank you enough, Mark. I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking forward to the next time I can swindle you into talking deer, too. <laughs> yeah, anytime, brother. Just don't ask about fishing or ducks <laughs> or anything else. Turkey and deer, I'll talk. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm fine with that. That's my ticket, too. <laughs> Good. Well, we got a lot in common. Perfect. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, thank you. So that is a wrap. Thanks for joining us for our first bonus turkey episode of the spring. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you check out everything Mark just mentioned. Instagram, Facebook, their YouTube channel, DeerCast. It is all great um, and certainly will help you out here come turkey season as well. If not, at least scratch the itch if you can't be out turkey hunting. So with that said, good luck turkey hunting. And until next time, stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.